Do I really sound like that? Don't answer it. Don't, because last hour I asked it and they did answer it and I didn't like the response. <laughs> now, by brief show of hands, how many of you already have your Christmas shopping done? 14 days left approximately. All right, a few of us. How many of you haven't even started yet? All right, yeah, I'm definitely in that category. Uh, somehow, over the past few weeks, I've convinced my wife, Savannah, to uh, let us get another dog. All right, and so we are going to be getting a golden retriever puppy at some point in the future, and I'm really excited about that, but that also has the potential to be something about six months from now that we really regret, all right? So I'm, I'm certainly excited about it. Now, we've all heard that, you know, this is the most wonderful time of year. It's a time when we're reminded of the peace and hope and joy that we can experience and possess because of what uh, God did for us 2,000 years ago when he sent Jesus, his son, in the form of a baby to be born uh, into this world. And it's because of Christ entering this dark and broken world that we can know peace and hope, and that can be a reality uh, for our life. Now, today we begin a brand new series called His Voice. And, and what we're going to do here for the next few weeks at Crossroads is we're going to try to kind of take a travel back in time and imagine what life was like during the very first Christmas story. You see, for 400 years before Jesus was born, that was a period when God seemed totally absent from people's life. And God's people felt as if that he had overlooked them, he was silent. And that's why scholars refer to the 400 years before the birth of Jesus as the 400 years of silence. God seemed just totally immune from their circumstances and that he didn't care for them and that he wasn't going to intervene, he wasn't answering them, he, he just seemed distant. And isn't that a lot of our stories? You see, I know a lot of us, we walk in here and we feel as if, God, where, where are you? Do you even care? Do, do you see what I'm going through? And, and it's one thing to walk through grief, but it's another to feel as if God just doesn't even care and that he's left you to walk through it all by yourself. And, and so in this series, we are going to try to experience what it was like for God's people to hear his voice for the very first time in over 400 years. What, what, what did it feel like? What was it like? And, and so what we're going to do in this series is look at the original Christmas story from the perspective of all the different Christmas characters that were a part of that story, the angels, the shepherds, the prophets, the men who had foretold of the birth of Jesus thousands of years before he was actually born. And we're going to look at the Christmas story from their vantage point. And I'm so excited because today we are kicking things off by looking at the birth of Jesus through the perspective, from the perspective of the angels. Now, my good friend Drew Sherman is here today to begin this series, and uh, you've maybe heard me talk a little bit about Drew before. Uh, Drew has been the lead pastor of Compass Christian Church down in Dallas, Texas for the past 14 years, and I had the honor and privilege of serving alongside and underneath Drew for about three years, and, and Drew certainly wouldn't tell you this, but Compass Christian Church is one of the fastest growing churches in our nation right now. They average about 5,000 people on a given weekend. He's an incredible leader, teacher, husband, and father, and uh, as much as he's been a mentor to me in my life, uh, one of the greatest privileges that, that I have is to consider him one of my closest friends in ministry uh, to this day. I know that you are going to be blessed by his message on angels today. You'll probably learn something that you never knew before, uh, and we're, we're glad that you're here to experience it with us. 
but would you just help me in welcoming my good friend, Drew Sherman, out here as he comes to share God's word with us. Thanks, man. Well, good morning, and thank you, Patrick, uh, for that introduction, and it's a blessing to be here. I've worshiped with you many times. My first opportunity to share God's word with you, and it's great to be back in Indiana. I was born and raised here, and I'm a huge Indiana Hoosier basketball fan, and uh, go Hoosiers. Kentucky fans boo, that's okay. We beat you last year. Anyway, and uh, also I'm a huge Colts fan, so I know we're going to get out of here here in a few minutes. So anyway. But I uh, love Patrick and Savannah and the kids and so excited that they're here serving with you and I believe the best days are ahead for this incredible church. As Patrick mentioned, uh, Christmas is just around the corner and he talked about Christmas shopping. I want to tell you my favorite Christmas shopping story. I love the story of the three sons who left home to make their fortune and uh, they got back together to decide uh, what they would give their widowed mother for Christmas. They had all done very well for themselves, and so there was some stiff competition. The first son said, I built a huge house for mom. It's amazing. She's going to love it. The second one said, that's nothing. I got her a brand new Mercedes with, equipped with a driver. It's incredible. Mom just says where to go, and he'll go anywhere. The third said, well, I got you all beat. He says, you know how mom loves to read her Bible, but she doesn't see very well anymore. So I sent her a remarkable parrot that can recite the entire Bible. It took the elders of our church 12 years to teach it, book, chapter, and verse, every verse in the entire Bible. Well, after Christmas, mom sent out three letters of thanks. Milton, she wrote, the house you built is too big. I only live in one room, but I have to clean the whole house. Thanks a lot. Gerald, she wrote, I'm too old to travel, so I rarely use the Mercedes, and the driver's really rude. Thanks a lot. But to the third son, she wrote, Dearest Donald, you have the good sense to know what your mother likes. The chicken was delicious. <laughs> Takes a second for some of us, I know, I know. But a little closer to home, I did hear a story about a lady who was checking out a, a department store in the mall, and as she rummaged through her purse, she was looking for her wallet, and she pulls out the TV remote control, and the clerk says, do you always carry your TV remote control in your purse? And she says, no, but my husband refused to come Christmas shopping with me, so I figured this was the most evil way to pay him back. <laughs> so I just planted that idea in all you ladies' head, all right? Well, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start with one of the great angel moments, I think, in all of the Bible, Luke 2 and verse 8, and you're familiar with this passage, most of you, but let's reread it. It brings new meaning every time. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, a single angel for the moment, to the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. Suddenly, it's an unexpected event. There's thousands of angels, maybe, I don't know, millions of angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to whom his favor rests. 
And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, like Patrick said, you're in a new series called His Voice. And I want to talk to you about how God spoke through the angels and specifically what we can learn from angels. I think there's a lot to be learned and I really enjoyed studying for this and uh, I think there's a way you and I can be a type of angel to others. I'll talk about that as we go along. A couple thoughts first off. When you think of angels, what I've learned as I've studied is think warrior, not choir member. Believe it or not, think warrior, not choir member. It's hard, isn't it? Because we think of the angels up there on clouds. <laughs> we think of, this is, our, this is sort of our image of the average angel. But I hate to burst your bubble. Angels are not sweet little chubby babies who float on clouds and play harps. Now that's the popular sentiment. Or you can take Hollywood's angle. In It's a Wonderful Life, an angel named Clarence is there to teach George Bailey the value of his life. He's trying to earn his wings. In Saving Private Ryan, angels are tank busters, B-51s, angels on our shoulders, they're called. According to Disney, angels are in the outfield helping the baseball team win games. But that's not our real picture of angels. We think of angels as things who sing, creatures and beings that sing. But did you know that the Bible never really mentions at least the Christmas angels never ever sing? We sing angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing over the plain. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. The problem is if you study the passage of scripture in Luke 2, well, let's just look at it. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, maybe shouting, I don't know, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the angels, they shout praises to God, but they don't really sing all that much. And so in the Bible, the voices of angels, we kind of tend to think that uh, an angel is a sweet voice. We say things like, oh, she has the voice of an angel. And the implication is that her voice is sweet, it's angelic, it's beautiful. But in the Bible, the voices of angels don't necessarily invoke sweet, sugary feelings. Quite the contrary, actually. Most of the time, the voice of an angel invokes one emotion, fear, fear. That's why the first two words that you normally hear out of an angel's mouth is fear not. C.S. Lewis wrote, in scripture, the visitation of an angel is almost always alarming. It has to begin by saying, fear not. Our view of an angel looks as if it were going to say, they're there. See, angels are not nearly as consoling as they are scary. Just ask Zechariah. Remember him? He was the father of John the Baptist. And when the angel came and told old Zach that little John was coming, he didn't believe the angel. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Hey, Zach, I'm an old relic of a man and my wife Lizzie, she's no spring chicken either. Are you sure about this? And I love Gabriel's response. He says this. It's just, this is just boss. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now, he says, you will not be able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Ah, so sweet he was, right? <laughs> now, he was more like Colonel Nathan Jessup in the movie A Few Good Men. You can't handle the truth. You want me on that wall. That's kind of the way I get it anyway. So from now on, when you think angels, don't think choir member. Think warrior. 
Think William Wallace, not Barney Fife, right? <laughs> Think The Rock, not Justin Bieber, okay? Angels are warriors that help God by helping us. If you want to be an angel, it's not about being sweet. It's not about being perfect. It's about being a warrior for God. It's about having the courage to look people in the eye and tell them the truth. That's what Gabriel did for Zechariah. So let me bring this home. What's this got to do with any of us? Well, here's a couple of homework assignments for you. The first one is this. Be a truth teller this Christmas. Be a truth teller this Christmas. You know, sometimes family come over and friends come over and we have superficial conversations and we have all these things that we want to tell someone. We want to speak truth into their life, but we don't have the courage. Around your Christmas table this year, there'll be friends and family and people you love that need to hear the truth. And it's not always easy to hear the truth. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, we must speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, the reason you have to speak the truth in love is because people don't always like hearing the truth about themselves, right? So we have to put it in love, in terms of love. And some of us are really good truth tellers, but we're mean and grumpy truth tellers. Raise your hand if you really enjoy a mean and grumpy truth teller, right? Nobody likes that, right? I heard about an interesting witness in a trial down south. In that trial, there was a southern small town prosecuting attorney, and he calls his first witness, and it's this grandmotherly elderly woman to the stand, and he approached her, and he says, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she responded, well, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a boy, and frankly, you're a big disappointment to me. <laughs> you lie, and you cheat on your wife, and you manipulate people, and you talk about them behind their back. You think you're a big shot, but you don't have the brains to realize you're not going to mount anything but a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you very well. Well, the lawyer was stunned. He didn't know what to do, so he pointed across the room, and he said, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? She said, well, yes, I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a little boy. He's lazy, bigoted, and he has a drinking problem. He can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the worst in the state. Not to mention he cheated on his wife with three different women. One of them was your wife. I know him very well. Well, the defense attorney was just nearly died, and he didn't know what to do. The judge asked both counselors to approach the bench, and in a very quiet voice, he says, if either of you idiots ask her if she knows me, I'm sending you to the electric chair. <laughs> I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. <laughs> Grandma apparently had the truth part down, but she didn't really have the love part figured out. This is so simple, but this Christmas, tell the truth in love to those around you. When you speak the truth in love, you never know what happens. When the Lord is in it, you could save someone from addiction. You could heal a marriage that's breaking apart. You could mend a hurt that's been there for a long, long time. Truth is captivating, and if it's received well, it can change someone's life. People are looking for truth whether they know it or not this Christmas, and you may be the only messenger they have. So be a truth teller this Christmas. Be God's warrior. Okay, secondly, when you think of angel, if you're taking notes, think wise messenger, not fearful ghost. Wise messenger. You know in that passage that everybody reads, there were shepherds living out in the flock, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were what? Scared out of their minds. That's right. They were terrified. You would be too. They thought they'd seen a ghost. But really, they had come in the presence of God for the very first time. They were experiencing, if you will, the Shekinah glory of God. Mary was afraid too. She heard the voice of an angel and she was afraid. Why wouldn't she be? 
14 or 15-year-old girl, maybe headed to bed that night and an angel comes into her bedroom. And the Bible says that when she found out she would carry the Christ child, she was greatly troubled at his words. Of course she was. So the shepherds weren't alone. Mary was troubled. They were terrified. They all thought they had seen a ghost, and it was really, really scary. Now, just a clarification. Angels are not ghosts, okay? They're not dead people that get a promotion. You'll never be an angel. You'll probably always be human. They were created long before we were, long ago, even before God created the earth. If you look in the book of Job, Job is questioning God, and God has perspective right back for him. God says to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely, surely you would know. Who, who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Angels were there a long, long time ago before the earth was even formed. In fact, in ancient Hebrew, the word malak, and in the Greek language, angelos, it just means messenger. They are God's messenger. Now, most of the time, the angels bring good news. In fact, almost always, the Christmas angels brought good news. The Bible says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Now, they tend to always bring not only good news, but big news, right? Because news causes us to react Sometimes with different emotions, but we always, when we hear big news, we react. I've picked out five just headlines of 2016. Maybe you'll remember some of them, but I'm going to pop them up here and see how you react. The first one is this, 49 die in nightclub massacre in Orlando. How do we respond to that? Well, we respond with sadness. It was tragedy. It was really hard. And we think about their families and how we would feel if one of our family members were there. And so we have this sadness that comes about, makes us upset. Here's another one. Cubs win the World Series. There you go. We got a Cubs fan. Any other Cubs fans out there? Now, if you're a Cubs fan and you see this headline, jubilation, right? The curse of 100 plus years is broken. Excitement, right? If you're a Cardinals fan like me, it's, you need therapy, right? <laughs> right? Okay. So that, that's a different reaction. All right. This one, North Korea claims successful H-bomb test. Well, that might invoke some fear. Do we trust them? Can they be trusted? Here's another one. A man off the coast of Nigeria survives underwater for three days. This happened. This really happened. He found an air pocket. He found an air pocket off of a sunken ship. And so to me, my response is, that's amazing. It's really, really hard to believe that it happened. Finally, this is a big one, right? Donald Trump becomes president-elect. All right? And so you think about that, hearing that news, for some news, for some people, they respond with relief and hope and encouragement and some devastation and discouragement and protesting and all that. So there's different ways we respond to news. The angel said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So sometimes the news is sudden as it was with Zechariah and sometimes it needs further explaining as it was with Mary, but almost always it's good news. And this news to the shepherds was the best news of all because it talked about the gospel. It makes me think of the Chronicles of Narnia in the book of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when the children are having a conversation about Aslan, who represents Jesus. He represents God. And the question gets asked by Lucy to the beaver, is he safe? Is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's not safe. 
but he's good. And I love that because this is the time of year when people tend to sort of patronize Jesus and they like to think of him as just that sweet little baby in the manger. (laughs) And they sing about him and they talk about him, but they don't always worship him. And people compartmentalize Jesus more at Christmas than any other time of the year. And they love Christmas Jesus and they love away in the manger Jesus and they love silent night Jesus, but they actually don't necessarily follow Jesus all that much. And every once in a while, you and I have to be God's messengers and remind people that he is the Lion of Judah, that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm praying that this will be the year that you have the courage to look a relative in the eye, a coworker in the eye, that best friend in the eye, and tell them about the Jesus of Christmas the one who bled and died for you and me, the one we just sang about, the one that defeated the grave, the one that said, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the God of Christmas. So let's bring this home. How do we respond to that? Well, it's real simple. Be a bringer of good news. You be a bringer of good news this Christmas. You share good news with someone who needs it. One of our youth pastors is a young man named Josh Akers. Josh is a beautiful man of God, and he is married to this amazing woman. Her name is Brenda. Josh and Brenda love to ride motorcycles, specifically Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Last December, on a very unusually warm day in North Texas, Brenda decided to ride her motorcycle to work. She was turning left in a green light at an intersection, and a man in a very large truck ran a red light because he was texting and he wasn't paying attention. And he clipped her on the side. And Brenda was in intensive care for several days. We thought for a moment we were going to lose her. And we were so relieved to find out that there was no brain damage and that she was going to recover fully. Except for Brenda lost her right leg. They had to amputate it. That was devastating news for them. And it was devastating news for our church. Fast forward a year later, Brenda Akers is one of the most positive people I've ever met. She's one of the most encouraging She always has good news. And if you ask her how she's doing, she tells you she's blessed. And if you have to ask her to break down that day and ask her how she can process that, she'll tell you, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Today in Uganda, Brenda and her husband, Josh, are preaching and teaching to about 3,000 Ugandans. And she's telling her story about how she was able to triumph over tragedy. She just has good news to bring all of the time. I hope I can be like her. I hope you can be like her. You know, I hope nobody ever loses a leg or ever has tragedy in their family, but we all know that sometimes tragedy happens. But in the midst of that, we can always find something to be encouraging to someone else about. We can bring good news to others. Here's the third thing about angels. Think encouragement, not judgment. Think encouragement, not judgment. I love the angel of Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, Mary is being told she's going to carry the Christ child. And the angel says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. See how encouraging he is? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And you'll conceive and you'll give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. And he's going to be great. And he'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never, ever end. This angel is basically telling 
She's telling, he's telling Mary, this is going to be great. Your son's going to be amazing. He's going to be the son of the Most High, and he's going to reign forever and ever. See, angels weren't just encouraging to Jesus at his birth. They were encouraging to him all through his life. If you remember that moment when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, and Jesus had fasted for 40 days, and he was physically weak, and the, the devil takes him on a cliff overlooking the wilderness, and, and Jesus makes an empty promise at Jerusalem. I'm sorry, over Jerusalem. And the devil makes an empty promise toward Jesus, and Jesus is able to resist all of that. And he tells him, basically, don't test the Lord your God. But in Matthew chapter 4, right after that happens, the Bible says the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. It's amazing how encouraging angels are in the Bible. In Luke 22, when Jesus was at his lowest moment, he's praying in the garden prior to his betrayal by Judas. He's praying at the Mount of Olives and he knows what awaits him, the cross, pain, his inevitable death. Look who comes alongside him. He's praying in Luke 22, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. I love that. Do you ever wish that an angel would come and strengthen you when you're troubled? But then again, I wonder, maybe you've been in the midst of an angel before and not realized it. You know, Hebrews chapter 13 tells us, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even realizing it. I heard a story about a woman who telephoned a friend and asked how she was feeling, and her friend said, terrible, my head's splitting and my back and legs are killing me, and the house is a mess, and the kids are driving me crazy, and the caller was incredibly sympathetic. She said, listen, you go lie down. I'll come over there right away. I'll cook lunch for you. I'll clean up the house. I'll take care of the children. You get some rest. By the way, how's Sam doing? Sam, the tired mom said. Who's Sam? The caller said, oh, my goodness, I think I've dialed the wrong number. I'm so sorry. There was a long pause, and the tired mom said, are you still coming over? <laughs> I think we've all had those times in our life where we're just overwhelmed, you know, and we're exhausted and we're feeling quite alone. We wish an angel would come and rescue us, and we need encouragement. That's your last bit of homework today, this Christmas, just be an encourager to people. Sometimes Christmas is a tough time of year, a really tough time of year. My father died on December 19th, 2009. I'll never forget it. I was in Macy's department store in Dallas shopping, and my mom gave me the phone call that brought me to my knees. I still have trouble sometimes going into that mall and going into Macy's because of it. And sometimes there's a little cloud sort of over my life on December 19th thinking back on that. And sometimes that's the way it works. For some people, for some, Christmas can be a very sad time. There's evokes memories of sad times and times gone by. And so people need encouragement. They really need encouragement. I want to speak to you practically. Sometimes as Christ followers, we spend way too much time talking about what we're against and who to blame for it. And so we might post on Facebook some venomous opposition to someone we believe is out of line and we sort of appoint ourselves as the moral police. And too many times, quite frankly, friends, it comes across smug and self-righteous and it's not a good witness. Because negativity and blame are pervasive in our world today. Everyone wants to talk about who is at fault for the world's problems. I heard about a little boy who was playing the part of Joseph in a Christmas pageant and he went up and knocked on the innkeeper's door and he said, I've got to have a room for my wife. And of course the innkeeper says, sorry, there's no room. And he says, you don't understand, I've got to have a room for my wife. And he said, sorry, pal, you didn't hear me the first time, there's no room. And the little boy said, but you don't understand, my wife is pregnant. 
And the innkeeper in the pageant says, that's not my fault. And the little boy playing Joseph said, it's not my fault either. (laughs) It's true, right? Sometimes we have to opt with encouragement instead of assigning blame. You can bring encouragement this Christmas to a single mom who's overwhelmed. You can bring encouragement to a coworker who might be lonely. That's your cue to invite them to Christmas Eve here at Crossroads. You can be encouraging to an under-resourced family who needs provision. You know, Paul said in Ephesians 2, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us a long time ago. You see, Jesus called us to be a compelling force for good in the world. God uses his people as agents of change to relieve suffering, to fight injustice, living out the transformed message of the resurrected Christ. See, the church, the church is at its best when it serves and when it sacrifices and when it loves and when it encourages, caring about the things that God cares about. So when you think of angels this Christmas, do me a favor. Think warrior, not so much choir member. Think wise messenger, not scary ghost. Think encouragement, not judgment. And do all of the above. I want to close with this encouragement from Matthew 28, probably my favorite angel story. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb of Christ. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. This guy was just boss, right? And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I don't even know what that means, but it's really cool. (laughs) And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. My encouragement to you, friends, this Christmas, very similar to the voice of the angel sitting on the tomb of Jesus. You go and tell everyone you see that Jesus is born, that he is risen, that he is alive, and that Christmas means so much more to you than a tree and some presents and some lights and a house full of stuff. There is someone this Christmas that needs to hear the truth from someone like you. There's someone this Christmas that needs to be invited to your Christmas Eve services and you can be that messenger. There's someone this Christmas that needs encouragement from the God of Christmas that loved them so much that he gave his life for them. And remember, always remember, the next time you're troubled, fear not. There might be a warrior, a messenger, an encourager from God being sent your way. Or there might be an army of angels. Who knows? Let's pray. God, thank you for sharing your voice through the angels today. God, we pray in the coming weeks that as we hear your voice, that we respond and help us to apply these things that we learn, God. We want to hear your voice. We trust it. It can be trusted. We pray right now that we would be thinking about someone that we can be encouraging to someone that we can be a wise messenger to, someone that we can share the truth in love with. Lord, we love you. We love the wisdom of your word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.